What's up, everyone? This is Anthony Pompliano. Most of you know me as Pomp. You're listening to the Pomp Podcast, simply the best podcast out there. Let's kick this thing off. Greg Eisenberg is the founder of Late Checkout and a growth advisor to TikTok. He previously built and sold a number of technology companies, including acquisitions by StumbleUpon and WeWork. In this conversation, we discuss businesses as vending machines, why momentum matters for social companies, working at WeWork, the no-code movement, and various startup ideas that people should go build. I really enjoyed this conversation with Greg, and I hope you do as well. Before we get into the episode, though, I want to tell you about our sponsors. The first is BlockFi. BlockFi has three products currently. They allow you to deposit crypto and take out a US dollar loan. You can buy and sell crypto on their crypto exchange. Or my favorite product as an investor and a user is their interest-bearing account where you can deposit crypto or a stablecoin and earn up to 8.6% APY. It's an unheard of interest rate compared to the legacy fiat world. Go check them out at BlockFi.com slash POMP. Again, BlockFi.com slash POMP. BlockFi is standing by, ready to help you achieve all your financial goals. Our second sponsor is Choice. They're a new self-directed IRA product that I'm really excited about. If you're listening to this, you are likely part of the 7.1 million Bitcoin owners who have retirement accounts with dollars in them, but not Bitcoin. I was in that situation too, but not anymore thanks to Choice. Now you can actually buy real Bitcoin in your retirement account. I'm talking about owning your private keys and using tax advantage dollars to do it too. That's right, a self-directed IRA product that allows you to buy Bitcoin, hold your private keys, and use tax advantage dollars to do it. Absolute game changer. Head on over to retirewithchoice.com slash pomp. Again, retirewithchoice.com slash pomp, and let me know what you think. Lastly, I write a daily letter to over 50,000 investors about business technology and finance. I break down complex topics into easy to understand language while sharing opinions on various aspects of each industry. You can subscribe at pompletter.com. Again, pompletter.com. All right, let's get into this episode with Greg. I hope you guys enjoy it. Anthony Pompliano is a partner at Morgan Creek Digital. All opinions expressed by Pomp or his guests on this podcast are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Morgan Creek Digital or Morgan Creek Capital Management. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Pomp as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. This podcast is for informational purposes only. All right, guys. Bang, bang. Got a special treat for us today. I have my friend Greg here. Uh, Greg's done things on the internet for a long time. What's up, man? Uh, not much. I mean, a lot, but not much. <laughs> Looking forward to getting into it. All right. Uh, for those that don't know you, let's start with uh, you're from Canada, right? Yep. All right. How did when you get to the U.S. and what was your first foray into the tech world? Um. You know, I don't really talk about this much, but maybe I'll give the the real deal story on on here. This is the best time to do it. This is why you come on to, to just share the truth. Okay, I'll share the truth. So I'm from a city, Montreal, Canada. It's kind of like Paris meets Las Vegas in a lot of ways. Um, and, uh, you know, it has one of the largest internet companies no one's ever heard of. It's called MindGeek. Now, MindGeek actually is a monopoly on all of the adult adult content. So they own YouPorn, Pornhub, uh, Brazzers, Playboy Digital. It's all owned by one company, one holding company. 
it's also where a lot of gambling and a lot of the gaming companies are based as well in Montreal. So, you know, I got my start really in the underbelly of the internet. And that's where I really learned, um, you know, we would do deals like, you know, I was a teenager, 13, 14, 15, it would be like adult friend finder. You'll pay us $5 for every lead we generate. And we basically used to buy traffic, me and my friends. And if we can spend $4 to make $5, then we put, you know, we'd go from $10 a day to $100 a day to $1,000 a day to, you know, and the numbers kept getting bigger. Um, and I attribute like pretty much everything I know about human psychology and what being, how do you get people to do things to my early days working in that space. So, uh, it's interesting to hear this. I did not That's know right. this, yeah. uh, because, yeah. um, most of the best product people that I know, and you know, we've got a lot of mutual friends at some point worked on growth type products. And that's essentially what you were doing, right? You were just arbitraging the cost of traffic for what somebody else would pay you for it. And you figured out how to essentially grow that traffic over time and make money. And like that in essence is like what every business should be doing, right? It's like figuring out how do you make something for less than you sell it for. Uh, right. So, so it makes sense. Yeah. It, it got me thinking about like businesses as vending machines and you know, if it costs $4 to make five, it's like, okay, I want to put more money in there. And I just, you know, I learned a lot from that experience. Also the difference between, you know, having a, you know, a woman or a man look at, look at you, you know, on the landing page, or if it's red hair or brown hair. And if that's the difference, if you make 50 grand that day or at least 50 grand that day, you're going to pay attention, you know? So those learned a lot. Got it. And so at what point do you decide to go from working on that to actually building uh, various technology platforms or companies? So after that, I was kind of like, I need to get credibility. Um, you know, I want to do, so I, I basically teamed up with FGU friends and, and got into the agency game. Um, and we designed a lot of stuff that was like, you know, cool, you know, at the time, cool, like techcrunch.com and WordPress VIPs product. Um, and then we took some of that money and we built our own startup. So we built a studio model. This was in, this is like fi almost 15 years ago. Um, and that's when I realized, um, you know, why am I building, uh, why am I spending a hundred percent of my time on client work when I could actually build multiple startups? So I did that. Um, and we created a bunch of startups. Some of them got acquired. Um, some of them didn't work, but, uh, that's kind of what, what I, how I got the startup bug. Um, and then after that, you know, I started a company, um, went to San Francisco, uh, it was called five by, it was like, uh, sort of the, at the time there was YouTube was re getting really big, uh, 2012, there was, you know, millions of videos being uploaded every day, but people needed sort of curation on top of it. So we built that platform. Um, and uh, we sold that to StumbleUpon, which at the time was one of the largest um, social networking apps. So I joined the management team there. Um, and, uh, and then after that, I, sold, I started Islands, which, yeah. What was the experience like working at StumbleUpon when it was so big and, and just so powerful, really? Yeah, so StumbleUpon was started by Garrett Camp, actually. 
who is the co-founder of Uber. And he had, he had recently left when I had joined. He's still on the board. Um, and, you know, that experience working with that caliber of a board, you know, Garrett Camp, Samir Gandhi, who's at Excel, um, Ram Sharam, who was on the board of Google. He literally put like the first dollars into Google. Um, you know, this was me, like I, I had come from the underbelly really, and I'm, I'm in Silicon Valley now. I'm like hanging out with all these guys. They're teaching me so much. And, and StumbleUpon was gener generating, you know, a billion plus page views for publishers. And I was able, easily able to say like, oh, hey, like BuzzFeed, let's generate a hundred million page. We can generate 80 million page views to you today, you know, a hundred million page views. So there was a, that was a really cool experience. Um, but I think the big learning I had from it was, was if you're a social app and you lose steam, like you can't really come back from it. You know, you, you don't often see consumer. So I can't think of one example of a consumer social company that, that became really big and then kind of went down and then like became really big again. I, I actually can't think of a single one that that's ever happened. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I can't, I can't think of one. I think, you know, social, you just kind of have to, it's a growth game and you have to continue growing. You have to continue to reinvent yourselves um, day after day and kind of always be on the prowl that like someone's going to eat your lunch. And, and it's really momentum more than anything. Like growth is a big piece of it, but the momentum game of how are you going to keep the growth and, and, and kind of keep uh, accelerating is a huge piece um, of it. And so, all right, so you do that, leave, you decide that you're going to start Islands. Uh, that's when we first met. Uh, yep. and maybe talk a little bit about like what you were trying to build there and why. Yeah. Um, end of 2015, I'm like group chat is the new social network. Um, it's going to verticalize. Um, you're going to have a place for, um, chat with your work friends. That was Slack chat with your gamer friends that ended up becoming discord and then a bunch of different verticals. I've always been into creating communities in different verticals. Um, was on the board of the largest cannabis media company in the world. Um, I, you know, one of the startups that came out of the agency was one of the largest financial education communities in the world. So like always been like, pick a vertical, learn how to grow it, grow it. And then in my, in my experience, sell it and get acquired. Um, I saw this mass, if I was like, I was like, okay, if group chat is the new social network, where do I start? Um, and I, you know, was in San Francisco, I raised $2 million on basically here's group, group chat as the new social network. And I said, give me money and I'll pick a vertical. And we ended up on the vertical of college students. Cause we were like, oh, Hey, you know, Facebook started at college and there's no real easy way to like open up an app and like communicate with, you know, like-minded people at college and, and see people around you and. Uh, that's what we did. And, um, you know, it, it worked, it worked to, on one hand, it worked. We had between five and 25% penetration on every school we launched at within seven days. Um, the average user would send 50 messages every day. Um, the average user would invite 2.1 people. So we had all the metrics. Um, on the other hand, what didn't work was the timing sucked. Um, you know, now people care about social and want to try new things and want to download new apps. But, you know, fast forward to 2018, and it was the lowest amount of venture capital and social since uh, I think it was like 2002, right after the internet bubble. And it just goes to show you that like, 
you can be right and you could raise from the right people and you could hire the right people, hire the right people and you can do all the right things. But if the market isn't in your favor, like that sucks. Yeah. And, and I think part of this that was really interesting to me is, uh, the way you found the college campus market, uh, you, let's say, did things that maybe other founders wouldn't be willing to do. And so talk a little bit about uh, your, what was it, six or 12 months, uh, basically yep. living on college campuses and, and kind of what you were doing. Yeah, I mean, you know, my whole thing is, you know, vertical networks, right? And if you really want to get to know a vertical, you kind of have to be at one with the vertical. You have to really embed yourself. You have to, you have to really get to know it. And, you know, I you know, I've explained a bit of my past now, like I barely went to college. I went to McGill in Canada, but like I dropped out. Um, schools in the US are very different than in Canada or anywhere in the world for that matter. Um, and we hired, you know, the, an, an ex, you know, one of the founding team members of Vikiak, which was another popular social network back in the day. And, but I, I still needed to be, I, I needed to be there. So I said to myself, I'm gonna spend six to 12 months and literally go, every school that we're going to launch at and, and speak to people. And I'm like a 28 year old dude, just like walking around wearing like all black and like, you know, Oxford, Mississippi. And people are like, who the hell is that guy? And because that's where we started. We started in the South, you know, I get the feeling that they're like, Hey, who's the old guy dressed in all black. <laughs> I remember like I was, I was actually in Oxford and I was at, you know, end of the day sitting at a bar. I was, for whatever reason, wearing a black hat, you know, black James purse shirt. And then these like black jeans with like black John Barbados Converse shoes. And I'm in this like bar and like, I was just on my phone and I look up and I just see like everyone is like, it's like 80, mostly guys wearing like polos stretch up socks like you know didn't fit in and like people were looking at me but like you know i think i think that's what you have to do like if you really care about like crafting a business and trying to understand and you have to go there like i mean you know did i want to be in oxford mississippi like drinking a bud light you know surrounded by like 80 80 dudes named chad and brad um looking at me funny like absolutely not but i i wanted to win that's what ends up happening. And uh, ultimately, what happens? Ultimately, what happens with the business is um, I go out there to raise money. Um, I want to raise a lot of money. I get offered a little bit of money. And I was just like, all right, if I, you know, I'm a go big or go home type of guy, like all in. You know, I didn't move to Silicon Valley to, to like not go big on this. Um, and so I just reached out to 15, um, potential acquirers and got you know, a few offers, got the best one. And we sold to, to WeWork to basically power their social networking experience, uh, pre IPO. And I joined as a head of product strategy there. So a lot of people don't know this, but what you just said is a very difficult, but wise decision for founders, which basically was, um, and I was privy to some of your thought process at the time. Uh, so I can cheat here a little bit, but it takes a certain amount of capital to do the things you need to do in order to take something that was, you know, starting to working to kind of working to now, Hey, you got to slam on the gas and you've got to 
drive that momentum to scale nationally very quickly, right? And that's basically the inflection point you were at, but it takes capital. And so when you don't get that capital, there's kind of a fork in the road. You can either say, hey, I'll take a small amount of capital and I'll kind of do my best. Or you basically say, look, I've got deep conviction in what needs to happen here. And if I can't do that, then it doesn't make sense for me to pursue this. And by choosing the latter, I actually think it's a more responsible thing to do, right? Because you're, you're, you're locking in early investors getting a return and not putting a new investor's capital at risk with a plan that you're not necessarily convinced will work to some degree. Yeah, that's exact. I actually, I was like, that's exactly how I felt. I was like, hey, like, if I raise an extra $3 million, I'm not sure that the market, I had to ask myself, do I think the market is going to be better in 12 months or worse than 12 months or the same? And I was like, it's probably going to be the same, like the venture, the venture environment. And when you're a social app company, you need venture capital to survive and to grow, right? We talked about it in the beginning, you need to grow, grow, grow. So I was just like, you know what, if I can get a return for my investors um, and my team, you know, everyone on my team pretty much bought houses from the outcome of it, you know, that makes, that makes me feel really good. So um, I think that it's, a, it's something that, you know, one thing founders should do is really like understand who's, who should, like from day one, like make, okay, you're starting a company. Who's the, who are the um, seven companies that would are going to buy your company and who are the three people that you need to know at that company? You know, I call it the law of 21. How do you, you know, how do you get those 21 people and know them from day one, you start the company so that, you know, for us, like selling the company was just a tech, it was just some texts, right? It was like, Hey, like we're selling, Hey, you know, head of product at XYZ company, we are selling the company. Are you, do you want to make an offer versus like trying to scramble for like uh, an intro and it's like, you, you know, they don't know who you are and you don't have that trust. And I see, that's where I see a lot of founders kind of uh, struggle. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Uh, you worked at WeWork. WeWork had a uh, incredible rise and uh, then had its infamous uh, stretch, which you were there for. Uh, I know you can't say too much, but any kind of thoughts or, uh, or, or lessons learned or takeaways from uh, the entire WeWork experience? Yeah, yeah, I was, I was gonna say, you know, I can write a book about it, but I think a lot of people are. Um, you know, you, you, you learn the most about yourself people and and companies when 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 you're at your high and when you're at your low and you know i think you know i remember having a conversation with garrett actually um when you know he was on the board garrett camp and he was on the board of stumble and he was at stumble upon and he was on the board of uber and i was like what do you learn more from uber or stumble upon and he said uh, he said stumble upon he was like you learn more you learn more from your downfall than your upfall and your, you know your upswings he's like everything is going right at 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 uber so um i got i got a, a chance to to learn a lot about you know ups and downs from that from that business um i got a chance to learn a, a lot from the softbank team and what they did um and uh but you know I, I don't want to learn for the rest of my life. <laughs> Absolutely. And so you recently left uh, and you started Late Checkout, Please, uh, which one is a, 
amazing name. So we'll have to talk about where kind of that name came from. Uh, and so let's talk a little bit about what you're planning to do now. And then I want to spend the rest of the podcast talking through just every business and startup idea that you and I have ever had. We're just going to open the, uh, the kitchen sink here and kind of just dump them on people. But where did the idea for Late Checkout Police come from? And then what the hell is up with the name? Yeah, I mean, so, okay, I'll take a step back. Um, in a lot of ways, I'd rather be a VC than an entrepreneur because, you know, you're, you're all in, as an entrepreneur, you're 100% in, basically close to 100% of your net worth is tied to the outcome of this business. And... I think it's, that's actually a really foolish way to live your life um, from, a, you know, from an economic standpoint, you know? So my belief is that um, owning smaller pieces of a business, but in a lot of businesses um, is, a, is kind of the most um, responsible kind of thing to do. Um, so that's one thing. The second thing is, um, you know, I believe fundamentally that the internet is is have is undergoing of a complete makeover right now from um, broadcast to niche. And what what I mean by that is um, there's you know in the Facebook era it was all about and Twitter really era it was all about broadcast get things out there these big social platforms and now there's these you know people find the refuge in in Fortnite worlds and Discord chats and iMessage groups and Slack communities and all these like kind of virtual places. Um, and that's, and people are willing to spend money to, to access those zones. And, and they also get a lot of meaning for, you know, meaning just being in those places. Um, so, you know, the reason I started late checkout was because um, I said to myself, I, I want to start a product studio. I want to build as much as possible during this time, um, you know, because I believe that this is the Renaissance time for, for so many. And I don't want to create, you know, one art piece during the Renaissance, right? I want to create as many different pieces as possible. So what Lay Checkout does is number one, it's a product studio. Number two, um, we acquire internet, uh, profitable internet communities. So we'll literally find businesses, uh, um, you know, and acquire them. Um, and, and the third thing we do is we have a few clients, um, you know, and we have basically an agency business where we help, you know, companies like, um, companies like TikTok, companies like Warner Brother Music, just figure out what does community really mean? All right. And so when you are doing this kind of transitioning back and forth between an investor seat, an entrepreneur seat, an acquirer seat, and an advisor seat, you get a really holistic uh, view of consumer social type companies. And so where are the areas right now that are the obvious things that are working, right? So I know that you're a growth advisor to TikTok. So that's kind of working. Maybe you can talk a little bit about that. And then what other areas or companies um, do you see kind of working? Most people would say, yes, that makes sense. And that's an obvious thing. Yeah, I mean, right now I'm kind of just obsessed with um, just 
how big platforms have gotten and how horizontal these platforms have gotten and how vulnerable these platforms have gotten. So I'll give you examples. Um, Zoom, we're on a Zoom meeting right now. It's you know being used for a thousand, ten thousand different use cases. Um, now, if we sat down and we kind of like jammed on it, I'm sure we can figure out a thousand businesses where we can look at Zoom and we can target at a vertical and we could put a paywall up and we could do some content distribution that's free. Um, and then we can bring influencers on and, and we can make a million dollars. And I bet we can launch a few, you know, one of those a month. And if we tried, that's, that's Zoom. LinkedIn, LinkedIn launched stories yesterday, I think. LinkedIn stories, like, are you kidding me? Um, I think there's a massive, there's like so much opportunity to look at LinkedIn and, and trying to figure out um, where they're most vulnerable. And there's certain people doing elements of this. Some people are looking at the, um, you know, looking at it from the co corporate hierarchy, uh, you know, organizational behavior kind of thing where they're like, um, you know, putting, you know, you creating LinkedIn's for their internal companies and stuff like that. Some people are creating professional Slack communities and, and putting paywalls on it. Um, again, a bunch of ways to make a lot of money um, by just chipping away at LinkedIn because, you know, I don't really want to live in a world where LinkedIn is the end all and be all of professional networking. I think we can do better than that. Um, and then Reddit, you know, Reddit, um is surging in traffic um it's become a place where it's you know it's you can easily find like really great content and feel like you're a part of a community and the beauty what i love about reddit is you can actually see through these products like redditlist.com and redditmetrics.com which basically give you an insider information in, information as to like what subreddits are trending what's happening and basically opportunities like inside info, basically opportunities where you can actually go and create and unbundle it, unbundle certain subreddits and create businesses around it. Um, that's where I'm spending most of my time thinking about vulnerabilities. Yeah. And I guess part of this is um, when you talk about unbundling Reddit, right? Let's walk through kind of an example. So uh, there's a subreddit, it's exploding um, and it's in some niche industry, right, or interest, you're not talking about going and rebuilding Reddit's functionality for that industry. What you're talking about is potentially building ancillary or complementary products for that industry, building other types of services for those types of people. But you've identified, hey, there is a group of people that are all coalescing around this one idea, and it is growing fast in both size and engagement. And therefore, I know that if I build the right thing, I can expose this community to it and I'm likely to build a business that ends up being successful, right? Exactly. So I'll give you an example. So, you know, one of the one of the things we do at Late Checkout is every week, every, you know, all the people on the product and design team um, think about one subreddit and spend time in, in one subreddit and they come up with an idea to how to unbundle it. So recently I did this and what I, you know, I was in basically a ride sharing subreddit and it's growing a lot. I'm in this ride sharing subreddit and I keep seeing that they're referencing this dude named the ride share guy. 
like, who the hell is this guy? So I go to his website. I do some poking around. It's a blog. He also has a podcast, but it's some guy who basically gives tips and tricks around how to make more money um, as an Uber and Lyft driver. Simple enough. The guy's making seven figures on, on this, on this blog. Okay. And it's, it's literally like, I think it's a WordPress blog. It's like super simple and he's, he's creating good content, but you know, the question there is, you know, is there an opportunity to, you know, extract that value and display it in maybe a more interesting way, um, you know, and, and trying to really, you know, understand what are people asking for and why do they, why are they flocking to this, to this website? Um, that's what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about like, you know, I think what a lot of people, when I say unbundling of Reddit, um, a lot of people think of it as like, okay, I'm going to go create like a Reddit, but for like Uber drivers. And it's like, no, because Uber drivers m might not need that. And they probably could do that very well on Facebook groups and Reddit. What I'm talking about is how do you figure out what, what do they need? And what is the tool that you can create um, or the network that you can create um, to serve them? And so what are some ideas there in terms of in that writing, uh, the, the ride sharing subreddit? Obviously, you can take that guy's information. You could put it into a book or other format and kind of resell it, um, you know, bundle it up, make it look nice. But it almost feels like you can go even further and you can create chat specific uh, type stuff for ride sharing. You can create all of the video live streaming. You could sell uh, any sort of um, kind of video cameras, uh, hardware that they end up putting inside the cars. You could create an entire brand around like, hey, here's your starter pack, right? And that starter pack gives you, um, you know, whatever they hang on the back of the seat and a sign and a camera and, you know, all of this type of stuff. Like there are 10 to 20 businesses just to serve the people who are doing rideshare driving, right? Yep. right? Right there. And now you've found the customer. And so I want to extrapolate that out and get to this idea of like what you're saying is you're finding the customers and then building the product for the customer, right? Yep. You and I've talked about this before. We're seeing that not just in unbundling of Reddit, we're seeing that across the world, right? If you look at Kim Kardashian, Kylie, uh, Kanye West, same thing. They built massive audiences, then figured out what's the product I should build to then go sell to this audience. And so maybe talk a little bit about how you think on that uh, kind of reversal instead of building a product and going find customers, now finding the customers first and then building the product. Yeah. So the way I think about it is like, how do you start with the community and then build the software versus starting with the software and then building the community? Um, and so for example, with this Uber driver ride sharing example, I actually created, oh, and then the other beauty is it's ridiculously cheap to, to design and create products either through no code or low code. So one of the things, you know, I did to just test this idea out, out you know, we tested a bunch of ideas in this ride sharing component, uh, uh, this ride sharing uh, subreddit. But one of the things I did was, it's like, oh, hey, what, what are they saying? What are they, what are they actually saying in the subreddit? They're saying that they want ways to make more money. And they're saying actually that they want to be surrounded by other, you know, uh, people and ride sharing. So I was like, okay, what if we can create an app that was basically like uh, a party line, but for Uber drivers. And, 
you know, I posted it and it went completely viral on, on, on the rideshare subreddit. And it's like, okay, maybe there's a business there, right? Maybe, maybe there's a business there. And I think, you know, I actually think that people, you know, we don't have an audience in, in right in that, in the, in ride sharing. Um, so we have to go and like lease it and like create those relationships with like the mods, the moderators and all these people. But I actually think that people who have, have audiences right now, the influencers, the micro influencers of the world actually have like an unfair advantage. And if they can actually partner with people like late checkout, who can actually create products, then there's a huge, that is a huge opportunity there. Cause what like, you know, if I look at you pomp, it's like, okay, you have all this credibility in, you know, in the Bitcoin and crypto world. Um, and the question is like, you know, how could you, you know, I mean, it's, it's age old, like endorsing it's Michael Jordan made most of his money from Nike. It's, it's Dr. Dre made most of his money from, from beats. It's, but there's not enough happening in, in the digital product realm. And my whole point of this thing is that literally, literally, if you go into Reddit and you go into Facebook groups, they're serving it to you on a platter. They're telling you what, what they want. Well, I'll make it even more tangible, right? So uh, take Joe Rogan, which many people know who he is, and he's got this massive podcast. And when he did the deal with Spotify, everyone was freaking out. They're like, oh my God, Joe Rogan sold out. Like he only made $100 million. Like he could have easily uh, done other things to make money. Right. And yes, that's true. Uh, some of those things included sell his own advertising rather than go through the agencies and he would have made more. Uh, some of it would have been uh, introduced subscriptions. So people pay him for whether it's extra episodes or he just brings the whole thing behind a paywall, whatever that was. But I kept going back to this idea of no, the most profitable thing that Joe Rogan could have done is started companies and then mm -hmm. kicked all the advertisers out and taken his own companies and pushed them through his distribution and said to people, you know, take uh, Traeger Grills is, is uh, one of his sponsors. If he went to them and said, hey, this is what we're gonna do. I, I will continue to advertise a grill, but I want to set up a legal entity with you. We're 50-50 partners and we're gonna create the Joe Rogan Grill. And when we create that grill, I'm gonna push it through my distribution and I own 50% of the equity of this product. You own the other 50%, let's go make a bunch of money. He would make more money by doing that than simply just doing the advertising for Traeger Goods, right? Because he owns the equity of a business and then he could just go down the line. Every single product that he has as an advertiser, he could simply just recreate, do the exact same advertising, only it's his brand versus somebody else's and he'd make a killing. He would make billions of dollars doing this, I think, compared to just tens of millions of dollars in the advertising. Yeah, I think, I think you know, creators don't understand the value of their brand equity. I think that's what it comes down to um, because it's really hard to value it. Like how, you know, there's not a website you can go and say like at pomp, what am I worth? What am I worth for cereal? What am I worth for, you know, different, different, uh, ver you know, verticals. Um, I think that, you know, Joe Rogan did a bad deal, frankly. Um, I think, um, and I, and I bet he's probably feeling it today. I mean, obviously he got, he, it, you know, listen, it's, he got, what is it? A hundred million dollars. It's, it's great. You know, that's awesome. But I think that he definitely, he definitely didn't get as much as I think he deserved.
And Spotify is the one who, when you look at that deal, it, it's less about like, is it a good deal, bad deal in my situation? It's just that Spotify got much more value out of it than Joe Rogan did, right? Because the deal would be fine right. if he got paid half a billion dollars or a billion dollars, right? You know, it's just the, the, um, the difference of value transfer there was definitely in Spotify's favor, which is, that's just the way deals happen. Uh, what, what else are you guys thinking about or um, kind of playing around with, uh, with like checkout? What are some other ideas you have or, or, or areas that you're interested in? Yeah, I mean, I have a list of ideas that I always have that I can pull up and we can just talk about them. Um, All right, let's if do That's it. cool. Yeah, and we could just pick a random one. Um, I literally have hundreds of ideas um, in the in here. Um, and I'm going to I'm just going to literally spin the wheel and just pick one random one that comes up. And then you can tell me what you think, what are your thoughts? And some of these are just like, also like had a couple glasses of wine and you write an idea. All right, let's hear them. Okay. Um, boom. Well, this came out of, so uh, the, the subreddit battle stations. So everyone's working from home um, or a lot of people are working from home, I should say. Um, especially knowledge workers, um, have, you know, are starting to want to like have dope setups. Um, one of the big, you know, trending subreddits right now is this battle stations where people are taking pictures of their setups and, and posting it. So the question pump, is there a business, um, to create that leverages something like battle stations? Yeah, this, this is why I love talking to you. So I've been telling people I'm waiting for somebody to come pitch me. Uh, I call it WFH or WFHbox.com. Just work from home box.com. Go onto a website, pay 500 bucks. Three days later, a box shows up and it is a camera, a microphone, headphones, a backdrop, an instruction manual, whatever. And it is like level one of getting started with work from home in terms of all of the equipment you need spend $1,200 and you get level two and go all out and spend, you know, $3,000 and you get level three, for example. And something just that simple of arbitraging somebody who knows nothing and doesn't want to spend the time to research what's the best microphone, what's the best headphones, what's the best camera, what's the best light, you know, all that kind of stuff with, I already know what the best light microphone, headphone, you know, whatever is. And how much does it cost? Oh, it cost me $250 to get all of the equipment put it in a box for 500 bucks, run some paid ads, get it in front, put it in this, you know, battle station subreddit. Like it's not very hard to find that traffic right now. Right. And so again, it's not going to be a billion dollar business, but could you make, you know, one, two, three million bucks a year? Absolutely. I think. Yeah. And that's the other thing I just wanted to highlight, which is you don't, for a lot of these like unbundling ideas, you don't need venture capital to get started. I know the VCs won't like hearing that, but like, you know, there's nothing wrong with starting a business and doing, you know, a few million bucks a year and making money and just, and then that's it. And it's a self-contained business. It's a vending machine. You've built a vending machine, you create value and that's, that's it. I completely agree. What, what type of business would you build for uh, battle stations? Um, so battle station. So I think for, for me, um, I would do a high end. So I would try to create an, an invite only 
community that's luxury battle battle station. So basically I would, I would create, you know, people like aspirational brands and um, especially with battle stations, like it's basically like porn for these people. Like they're, they're going on and they're like salivating, like, wish I wish I had that. I wish I had that. Um, I would try to source some of the most expensive um, kind of uh, some of the most expensive, like mahogany, like beautiful sort of desks and like these screens that are like zoom enabled and stuff like that. And I'd bundle it all up. I would do all drop shipping um and i'd create like a feed on top of it that just shows these like beautiful pictures um and i try to figure out a way to make it a monthly subscription because i'm just obsessed with monthly subscription so um maybe every month i get some sort of box at my workstation where we partner with different brands so like that's a you know i'm just we're just riffing here but you know brands want access to that real that battle station real real estate and maybe that's the real idea right like maybe it's like how do you how do you you know send like little cactuses or succulents or um different part different partner products and and stuff like that stickers and stuff like that um something there i love it what's another idea all right spin the wheel <laughs> okay um okay so this just came out of an insight so 15% of people actually get jobs through job boards. 85% are mostly through friends. What's a product to connect you to your friend? Uh, what's a product to connect you um, to jobs via your network? I think right now, if you said, what's the one job board somebody should create, I would immediately go and create a Substack support mm. job board which basically would say there's a bunch of people creating like sub stacks and kind of these personal media companies and stuff. And I would basically create a job board where they could post either one-off tasks or actual, you know, part-time or full-time roles. And they could say, Hey, uh, I need an editor, for example. Mm -hmm. Right. And so there's a opportunity for editors to either do it in a freelance capacity or actually get a job working for some of the most successful ones. And you could eventually expand this to all of these different creator type platforms where people are just being incentivized and given the tools to uh, create those personal media companies. They're going to need help, right? They literally can't do it by themselves. And so you can just play matchmaker. Again, doesn't have to be massive, but you could easily build a, uh, a million dollar business simply by um, creating an interface where people could post the opportunities and other types of folks who want to support those creators could come in and find jobs. Uh, so. Toby said something, Toby from Shopify said something I really like, which is um, arming the rebels. And it's all about this whole new passion economy. And it's about, you know, arming the rebels and giving them the tools necessary they need to succeed. So I think this idea is, is I mean, it's perfect, right? Like there's this whole new economy that's being created um, and people need help. I think it's now it's like, how do you verticalize it specific for this use case? You know, someone might want to an article to be ghostwritten. So how do you allow them to like, you know, create uh, anonymous, anonymous posting, right? I have a Substack with 20 to 30,000 subscribers. I'm looking for X, Y, Z. Um, this is like, I mean, this is definitely $500,000 plus business. 
like like pretty instantly. Completely agree. What is uh, one business that you think somebody could start in a weekend? Like if I gave you right now $10,000, you only had the weekend to build it. And you think that within 12 months, it could do five plus million dollars. What, what's something would, that you could look at? I would think about unbundling Fiverr, which is like a big sleeper. Have You know Fiverr, like the $5 marketplace? Yep. Um, they're starting to get really big and and it's cool because it ha there's a habit there um so it's like you know it's more than five dollars now but five ten twenty dollars for social media posts or something like that i would just create a marketplace targeted targeted at something you know maybe it's just like uh we create tiktok videos for you and um and then i would do and then i just take out a bunch of facebook ads and i it would I'd basically go consistent and I would create a bunch of different, I'd basically unbundle Fiverr in like five or 10 verticals. I would uh, market it specifically to that, those audiences. I'd pick verticals or services that are growing and new. So that's why I use TikTok as an example. Like what are things, your Substack is another great example. What are things that you can do and then you, and use marketing direct paid ads on Facebook to drive it. That's an easy one. What about you? Um, I'm really obsessed right now with, uh, figuring out ways to take creators. I would reach out to like 10 creators that have, uh, large audiences. And I would say to them, all right, we can do drop shipping of a specific product. We're going to put your brand on it. We're going to treat you like the, uh, historically athletes have been, uh, treated and we're going to sell these products but I wouldn't do something like merchandise. Like that's too easy and it's too kind of saturated, I think. Instead, what I would do is I would create um, really unique hybrid products. So uh, a very simple one that, uh, that I've seen is Jocko Wilnick sells a poster that has his like the 10 rules of a uh, warrior kid, I think it's called. And it's literally just like a really nicely done poster that's got these 10 kind of rules of how to live your life for kids. And he signs it, sells it for 250 bucks a pop. And I wow. can't remember if it's just the poster or it comes with a frame as well. But like, how hard is it to create the poster and the design and all this kind of stuff? It's not that hard. Well, why is it sell for 250 bucks? It's because you've got somebody who's got a massive audience and people want to uh, kind of be associated with. And so you could go and replicate that and create an entire poster business with creators. And maybe you don't sell them for 250 bucks, but could you sell them for $100? And just you know, replicate it over and over and over again. It costs you nearly nothing. You drop ship it, and you've got you know a couple million dollar business pretty easily. I think. You got me thinking about um, a website I, I I saw today called Bonsai Mirai. Have you seen that one? No. What's that? So basically, it's this dude who is like big in the bonsai community, and he charges you thirty bucks a month to to watch him trim bonsai trees. And I, I looked into the traffic and the guy is, let's just say the guy is, I mean, definitely seven to eight figure revenue from it. So the, so the question I have is what are other verticals where you can find the guy or the girl, um, create a live stream that someone create a subscription around that people would be willing to pay for. I've always thought that 
there will be a live stream subscription service that will replace daytime TV or the talk shows. And if you think about um, who that audience is, it's moms, mm. right? It's mom sitting at home. And if you say, hey, it's 10, 20 bucks, and we're basically going to live stream and talk about gossip, right? I mean, mm -hmm. just entertainment news and, and kind of all that stuff. I think there's a lot of people who would pay. Uh, one, you're, you're diving into an industry you know exists. Two, you already know there's big businesses in terms of uh, you know, the magazines and all that kind of stuff. Three is you know that the people are sitting at home. And then four is they've got disposable income. And so, you know, you're, you're solving kind of this problem of loneliness, you're solving access to information. And if you could even build it more community than just live stream, and now all of a sudden they can actually engage with you, it's just, you're, you're taking the quote unquote gossip, right? When rather than mm -hmm. go to uh, go on a walk with your girlfriend, right? For a mom, like my mom used to go and she, and she wouldn't go on a walk, but she would like go meet up with a friend and they would sit and they would talk about, you know, oh, did you see this actress did this or this actor did this or whatever. If all of a sudden now you had a community where you could go do that with all the people in the world. Mm -hmm. And then of course, as you spend more time on it, you get locked in because you're actually getting a community. You're learning who the members are. You can somehow, you know, Hey, do I want to talk to my friends today? Or do I want to like meet new people? You could build a whole little product around it and you know, 10, 20 bucks a month. Uh, where else are they going to go gossip? I think there's probably an opportunity to do like an HQ trivia type thing with gossip for moms paid monthly with some sort of community aspect. Of course. I mean, look, one of the biggest businesses that I've been really surprised by is uh, the games, right? All of these uh, things like, um, uh, what do you mean? And, and, you know, you talk to like the guys who, who run um, that business. It's a massive business. And then they've created, you know, six, seven other games off of it and all this kind of stuff. And so like, whether it's a digital product or a physical product, the whole idea of entertainment and games, I think kind of like went to the wayside and like Zynga and all these guys, people were just like, oh, like that's over. It's still a massive, massive business. Yeah, but I think 100%, I agree. And, but also like going back to like, you know, sort of like magazine mom sort of insight, which is, you're right. Like think about all those like, like the view, right? Like, how do you modernize the view? That's the question. I think so. I, th I think there's a big, big business there. Uh, and especially if you kind of seed it the right way, uh, I just think people will, uh, will spend time, um, you know, watching it in the live stream. How long does the bonsai guy live stream for? Do you know? I think, oh, 30 minutes. So you pay $30 a month to watch him cut the tree for 30 minutes a day. A week, a week, 30 minutes. A, I think it's 30 minutes a week, but you also get access to videos. Like, so think about like a master class, you know, that's what's also happening. It's the master classification of, of everything, which is kind of another thread, which is interesting. So you have to like, and that's what people, that's what founders, that's what I, I encourage people to do is to map all this stuff out. It's like, Hey, what, listen, I know nothing about bonsai trees, literally. Um, but like, People know a lot of stuff about, you know, weird, all kinds of whatever they're into. So it's like, okay, how do you look at master classifying it? How do you look at like, you know, unbundling Reddit in that, you know, go to all those places and see where you can fit yourself in. Completely agree. What's, a, what's another idea you have on, uh, on the list? Um, let's see. 
spin of the wheel. Um, okay, this one's this one's kind of dumb, but I'll, it's just hilarious. The, uh, people, so my you know my brother is a doctor. He he was working in the Corona ward when it was it was really bad up here, and you know I was like, hey, would you ever go on a like I you know would you fly? Would you fly? And how would you fly? today in 2020 and he was just like yeah like i'd wear a mask and i'd wear maybe maybe a face shield and i would i would you know get rid of my i would basically as soon as i leave the plane i would like basically throw out my clothes so the product is a flight suit for flying i literally uh got on a plane in the last four months one time uh and there was a guy who had a hazmat suit on and like, wasn't kidding, like had the gloves, the, the mask, the face shield, like he was, I didn't know if he was there to check on people or if he was a passenger. <laughs> right? right. And so like, I don't know if it would have to be that extreme, but could you see people basically putting something on over their clothes that at least it did, if it didn't look horrible to get on the plane? Sure. Why not? Absolutely. And I think it, I actually like the idea of it being somewhat extreme because I think that like will go viral and like, you know, I think that's really important. And then like, okay, you know, the question is like, okay, well, how big of a business could that be? You know, well, you know, was that $5 million in revenue, $10 million in revenue? Well, you can actually, A, that's significant. And B, like, what are other products that people are going to need in this new world, like that you can expand into? So you're building a brand. Um, so yeah, maybe you do hand sanitizer, maybe you do masks, maybe you do this, maybe you do that. Um, so uh, yeah, I think there might be something there. Uh, tell everyone about the haircut product because sure. I, I, I realized that we haven't talked about this and, and this will, uh, for those that are saying like, oh, these guys are just talking about ideas, but they have no clue what they're talking about. Maybe explain what you did with the haircut thing during uh, the beginning of uh, quarantine. Sure. So uh, pretty simple, um, sort of viral idea called you probably need a haircut.com built in uh, under 48 hours, no code um you know google domain wix editor like literally the you know nothing nothing okay um and uh and basically built a marketplace for people who need haircuts um and uh and then stylists actually people of color who are stylists who are out of work and who wanted to give haircuts um and we launched it and kind of went to sleep and in the morning we woke up and it was like everywhere on the today show abc fox npr literally millions of people went to visit this website and still continue to visit this website to book haircuts because they don't feel either their barbershops or or uh, salons are closed um or they just don't feel safe and they're just like you know what i want my girlfriend to help cut my hair it's fine um and uh it's been it's been cool there's like it's, it's still super popular. And the beauty of this is like, you're not joking when you said it took you 48 hours because of no. the way you built it, right? Like, like, like this is, this was not something where people are like, oh, how do you get on the Today Show? Well, it's because you lined up a lot of things and we should caveat it with like, you have done a lot of work and that was the product of decade plus of experience, expertise, all that kind of stuff. But other people could have, built the exact same thing. So it's not the building that's the hard part. It's thinking through what is the product that people will find valuable and how do I actually go ahead and launch it? Yeah, and I think I think it's that some of the nuances, like some of the things I was thinking about, I think 
I think naming is underrated, like picking a really a name that people will remember is really important. So like you probably need a haircut brings a smile to people's faces. So that was really important. Um, we did a video, like when you go to the website, we got like a celebrity to do the video for us. Um, and, or, you know, he has a show on the food network. Um, so he has a community. So he brought his initial community to like use the product again, little thing. Um, and then we kind of just worded the product in like plain English, you know, just like super simple. You go on, you get it. Um, and that was it. I love it. What's one thing that you've tried that didn't work? Um, well, there's thousands of things I've tried and didn't work. Um, you know, I think I, I, I helped start something called wall street survivor, which was a, it is the most popular financial, well, it's the most popular stock market game on the internet to this day, actually. Um, but, and in, and then I, I added this component to it, which is like kind of like a code Academy for investing. So basically you would like get fake cash and you'd go on this like sort of missions and you'd learn about the stock market. This is like post 2008 when like people's net worth dropped 50% and they're like, why? So we're just like, Hey, financial literacy needs to be a thing. Um, you know, the problem is we raise venture for it. And, um, what we didn't realize is that like, we, we, we became the biggest, like 85% of the top us business schools use it as a part of a finance curriculum. They pay for the product. The, it is still the largest stock market game, but like the, the market is, it caps out. Um, so my mistake there was basically raising, you know, raising too much money, um, and, and picking it's okay if the market is capped. Um, but it's not okay. It's okay if you're self-funded, but it's not okay if you, you have other people's money. Makes sense. Uh, before, before we wrap up, um, what is kind of the benefit or the inflection point caused by no code? So first of all, what is no code for those that don't know? And then kind of how has that changed, uh, this idea of ideating and quickly launching products? So, you know, the no code, low code movement has really taken off over the last few years. And it's basically the set of services that allow anyone to create a website or app with no technical skills and it's products like Webflow, you know, it's products like Squarespace, et cetera. And what it allows anyone in the world to do is have an idea being not technical, um, buy a domain, literally that's it, eight, 10 bucks a year, um, get some storage for a few bucks a month. And, you know, for the price of, two or three lunches, um, you basically have a startup. Um, and what it allows, what, what, the reason it's changed the game is it allows you to test. You can test, like I would encourage someone listening to literally test one idea a day. Like you can literally, if you have the ideas and we've talked a lot about a lot of opportunities between LinkedIn, between Zoom, between you know Reddit, um, all these big platforms, like if you can come up with the night, you can literally launch an idea a day. Um, and at, you don't have to raise venture capital. You don't have to go to Stanford computer science and, and, and learn stuff. Um, 
And I think a good place actually to learn about the only, you know, there are some tutorials on no code. You can go to like MakerPad um, to learn about it, which is like an educational resource around it. Um, but yeah, it's completely democratized the playing field. Love it. I asked the same two questions to everyone as uh, we end. First being, what's the most important book you've ever read? Uh, the Road Ahead by Bill Gates. Why? I, I got it when I was, when my first day in the seventh grade or second day in the seventh grade in the library of the school I was at. Um, I just randomly came across it. I opened the book and I just skimmed through the pages and, and, and I ended up staying there like the whole day and I read, basically read the book. Um, and basically I'm not a huge Bill Gates fan or, or whatever, Microsoft fan or whatever, but he basically outlined the future. He basically said he, he predicted cryptocurrency. He protected, uh, predicted like video conferencing, he predicted basically how the internet would work with social networking. And this was in 1994 or something. So he, he really knew where the world was going. And I closed the book and I was like, damn, you know, you know, I, I, I'm going to go and this is, I want to use technology. Like this is, you got to be crazy not to be building on top of technology. It's completely, you know, as a Canadian, I always felt like an outsider looking in, you know, cause Canada, 90% of people live on within 45 miles of the U S border. We're like kind of outsiders looking in at like, you know, the exciting, you know, we're on the, like, for example, Montreal's on the New York border, like New York city is right there. Um, but it, I was just like, wow, now I can talk, you know, I can talk to anyone. So that was the most influential book. Love it. Um, more fun question. Aliens, believer or non-believer? Definitely believer. Definitely Why? believer. Why? I mean, I, I've met humans who are, who are kind of alien-y. And I'm kind of like, are you an NPC? Like, are you not, you know, like, are you a real person? Um, I think... In all seriousness, I mean, it's like, it's one of those things where it's like, it, when you, when you see the picture of the Milky Way versus, you know, as one, just one galaxy and there's infinite galaxies, like you gotta be, I'm not a betting man, but like, you gotta bet on it. Right. So that there, there has to be out there. And, um, you know, I wonder if they have their own version of Substack or their own version of Reddit. So that's, that's what I'm looking at learn more about that's an awesome answer you get to ask me one question to end it what question do you have why bang bang i actually don't know that's a that's a horrible answer i said it one time and uh i can't remember where i said it. i think it was on a youtube video and everyone was like bang 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 you know and, and just went nuts and so then i said it again and then next thing i knew like it was just a thing um and uh I've actually had people like come up to me at a conference and be like, you know, bang, bang. And I'm like, all right, that's weird. Uh, I've had uh, John Nigerian uh, from CNBC and, and uh, did a bunch of trading. Uh, when I, he came on, I was like, bang, bang. And I don't think he knew that I said that all the time. So he yeah. immediately responds with bang, bang. And he starts doing his finger guns at me. And I was like, all right, man, <laughs> this is getting out of control, but uh, <laughs> it, it's here to stay. It's not going anywhere. So good. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and also it's a thing, um, in hindsight, it, it actually is helpful. Uh, somebody sent me a clip. Um, I think it was Gary Vaynerchuk, maybe, 
maybe it was somebody else, I can't remember, but uh, they were starting all their videos with like a noise, right? And they were trying to like basically like audio brand their videos with that noise. And so like in hindsight, like, oh, okay, you start off every single thing with this noise. It just happens to be, you don't need editing because it's just my mouth, right? But like it has some of the similar effects. So like, I'll take it. But, you know, it's one of these things where like, I didn't think I was uh, having a master plan, but if it works, it works. I mean, when you open up, I think it was Steve Jobs who did this. When you open up a, an Apple computer, there's the C major chord that, that happens. And I think like those nuances, like the bang, bang nuances, nuance or the C major nuance is what makes brilliant products brilliant and memorable. And you, and the truth is most people don't probably don't even remember that you bang, bang, or that there's a C major chord, but like they know that they enjoyed their experience and and that's what matters couldn't agree more man all right where can people find you on the internet they can find me on twitter at greg eisenberg my name um for my thoughts or they're up there and then if you want my deeper thoughts i started a sub stack so you can check it out at latecheckout.substack.com awesome all right, sir. Thank you so much. We're going to do this again. I had too much fun. So you're, you're on the hook to do it again for sure. Well, thanks, man. I appreciate it.